Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. We're going to have some fun today talking with Sean Moore. Hello, Sean. Larry, how you doing? Appreciate you having me. I've got to congratulate you. You're in real estate. You started Vodacy Collective Portfolio in, I think, 2018. Yeah, the way it sits today. Yep. Yeah. And you're up to a, what we, as far as our count, is a thousand properties. Is that right? Yeah. We're actually getting close to the 1500 mark at this stage. And so, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Now, 2018 is not that darn many years back. That's like five years. Yeah. 365 days in a year, you've been rolling and talk about the uniqueness, why what you're doing is caught your imagination. Why did that jump out to you as a niche in the market that held a lot of excitement for you and a lot of other people? Yeah, it was an interesting ride. I've been in full-time real estate investor for 23 years. And so it's been a long time, dabbled and, and invested in a lot of different asset classes, really got with a lot of fix and flip stuff. And back in the day, I was a cocky 23-year-old and bragging about how awesome I was at fixing and flipping properties. And this old guy named George put his arm around me at one point and said, Sean, you got to quit sticking your chest out at these meetings and acting like you're this big shot investor. And he said, you're not an investor. You're just a kid that knows how to fix up houses and sell them. You got a job selling houses. And his lesson to me at the time, he said, until you buy assets that bring in some passive income and you make some money on your portfolio with some passive income, you're not really an investor. That's what an investor is. And so at the time, George really hurt my feelings, right? It was like, okay. And, uh, my ego was kind of shot. I was the cockiness dissipated a little bit. And I went home to my wife and I was like, Teresa, this guy says I'm not an investor. And, you know, I feel like I'm killing it out here. And we started talking and we're like, well, I think he's right, actually. I really do just have a job buying houses, fixing them up and selling them and just continue to do it over and over again. So at the time, naturally, I just started buying long term rentals. I was like, well, I'm going to go buy some long term rentals. And so I can start making some rent and passive income and everything else. And so, as we kind of navigated through the long-term rentals and they just weren't that exciting. They were good investments for the most part. But when you're in your 20s and 30s, you feel like waiting for 10 or 15 years for an asset to mature, you feel like it's an eternity, right? I bought, I ended up building up to about 52 long-term rentals and I was making like $5,000 a month on 52 properties. And I'm like, man, this is a lot of properties to not make that much right. money. Yeah, But they were paying for themselves. I was making some passive income, but I could do a flip and make thirty or $40,000 on one flip. So at the time, about 2005, I decided to sell these assets and said, I'm going to pocket them. I made some good money on them. I'm going to put the money back in. I started doing development deals. And, and then about two years later, the market started really crashing. And, and I still at the time was acting like I was smarter than I was. I got rid of them because I was I was bored with them and not really that interested in them. And then I started saying, well, you know, I, I was pretty smart time in that market, right? Because then everything started crashing around us. But that wasn't the case at all. I still was at a stage in my career where I was thinking I was smarter and acting like I was smarter than I really was. And as you kind of navigate through different asset classes and different things, I started to buy and we started to develop land. We started doing bigger development deals. I started working on resort type properties and just didn't really think much about the resort game. We ended up working with a really high-end resort, a private ski and golf resort here in Utah that was getting developed. And 
my wife and I were, we actually went to the developers who were the owners of that resort and they they were lenders. They were hard money. They had a hard money lending business and we were buying, getting some short-term bridge loans. And I was trying to get some money for a development that we were working on. And they said, no, Sean, we're not going to lend you that money, but we've got a development we want you to come and work with us on. And we think you and Teresa are the perfect fit to help us on the sales and marketing side of this. I mean, it was a big deal for us. We had never, these were like $25, $30 million homes. They were not cheap properties. It was a world that we, you know, we had a couple private jets in Salt Lake International Airport and we'd fly across the country and pick people up and helicopter them into the property. So it was an amazing experience. We met some amazing people, but about four or three or four years into it, everything shut down. The feds came in and all of a sudden the office, the computers were locked up, file cabinets were locked up and it's it's over. The owners of that resort got indicted on securities charges. Yeah, so we're, we're sitting there looking like, crap, we've never really done anything or worked for anybody, but we put all of our eggs in this basket. And at the time, to be honest, Larry, I was, you know, we were making really good money again, really early thirties. And I sat and gave myself and threw myself a six month pity party and pointed fingers and acted like it wasn't my fault. And, and well, we did everything right. And how could this happen to us? Did they just shut the company down or did these guys wind up going to jail or how, how bad did it get? It got really bad. Yeah. So it shut down immediately, right? Because they were in the very beginning stages. Jack Nicholas was a partner and, and bringing, doing the golf course. Like there were some big names involved and right. those guys were like, Hey, we're not having being involved in this. So everything shut down overnight. The trial and everything lasted about three years. It was super messy. They ended up settling out at the end. And so they actually didn't end up spending any time in jail, but it was a messy deal. They ended up paying a lot of restitution and things like that. I guess you had to go through a period of time. Okay, for an action step for people listening to this, a takeaway is if the feds show up at your office, it's not a good day. It's not a good day. Yeah, I promise you that's not going to be a day you want to remember or live through. And a certain amount of things are going to start cascading away from you. Like all of your friends, all your friends, yes. it just everything. It, yeah, they don't know you. I don't. I don't know who you are. Yeah, I wasn't there. And everybody saw it coming. By the way, too, you know, everybody that you talk to, everybody's like, I knew that was going to happen. I knew something was there. Right, everybody. I could smell that a mile away. Uh huh. Yeah. So it was. I, I wasn't smart enough to smell it, and so we thought it was a pretty good deal that we were working on. But it turned out not. It wasn't. Was there a time where you felt like? Oh, Lord, they're going to suck me into this, too. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about the anxiety and the, the trauma of that, because we all want to be successful, but nobody wants to go to jail. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, we were just not working on the sales and marketing side of it. We weren't a principal or an owner at all in this resort at this at all. And so they came to me and we were one of the, I mean, we were intimately involved in the people who were coming in and the investors buying properties right. and everything else. And so they tried to get us to say things that really weren't happening, right? They were saying this was a big Ponzi scheme and everything else. And I was like, no, really, I don't see it that way. I didn't feel like the owners really were doing, that wasn't their intention. I do believe they had the intention of building this out. They just were not doing it correctly. And they did make some big mistakes that we, you know, we weren't aware of. But I remember it was the day after Christmas, because it was on my birthday. My birthday is the day after Christmas. I remember sitting in a parking lot in Utah and it was snowing and 
I got a call from my attorney. Originally, they were asking me to be a witness, right? So I was in AG's office all the time and it was, and we were on their side, if you will, we were going to testify and be a witness in the case against of what was going on, right? Well, all of a sudden the script completely flipped and I get this call from my attorney and said, hey, they're going to, they want you to waive, your statute of limitations is about to expire. They want you to waive that indefinitely or else they're going to file these 11 charges against you, the same charges that they filed against the owners of the resort. And I was, you want to talk about feeling like everything just gets pulled out from under you. I remember sitting in my truck that day, snowing and not knowing what to do. My, you know, I called Teresa. I talked to her about it. I'm like, I'm not going to, because what they wanted me to do is say something that would help their case, but really wasn't what happened. They were trying to bully you. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah, that was an easy way for they could bully you to go in there and say something that wasn't really right. They could put these people in a. Uh, in yeah. That, yeah, it's kind of a okay, now we're yeah. case is done. And if you don't, you're in big trouble and we're going to file charges against you. And that was an empty threat, really, when it came in. It, it was. But what's scary for me, I've never even been on that side of anything and never even experienced that. But my attorney was telling me, you probably should sign it because at least then. Oh, really? And so I have my, I called the attorney and they're, they're saying my advice is to sign it and then let's, let's work on it afterwards. And yeah, it was crazy. My parents, I called my, my parents and my wife and we're trying to decide what to do. And I'm thinking I'm, my career is going to be tank. I'm not going to sign something that one that we didn't do Two. If I get charges filed against me, I, I mean, in the world we live in, all of, all of a sudden, it's almost like you're guilty until proven innocent, right? Especially in the world of investing. And this is a really, really scary time, especially because we weren't intimately involved on the inner dealings of the company, right? And now all of a sudden we're getting pulled into it. I chose not to do it. I chose not to sign it and said, I'm not going to do it. I called their I bluff. I you were going to say your parents advised you to fire the attorney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, at the time they were saying, they actually were saying, Hey, if your attorney's saying this, you probably ought to do it. Uh, that just got it wrong to me. <laughs> it was really scary because of basically what was going on at, at the time of the, and it was, I mean, without getting into a lot of the details, if anybody looks up the AG's problems in Utah, the Utah AG department in 2008, 9, 10, there was a big problem here. With the attorney general. And with the attorney general. I have a friend who uh, got attacked by them for no reason and went through the same thing. Show up in the office, you got the FBI, SWAT team, helicopters, the TV studio, dog sniffing for things. You know, all they're going to sniff is files, but they yeah. did, you know, put a big smear job on them. And so. And that's hard to recover from, right? And so, it, and it's, you know, we ended up being fine, right? I called their bluff. I said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to play this Good game. For you. Good for you. And we ended up, we actually, at the time, the attorney general actually got pulled completely off the case. And, and it's partly why the owners of the resort got, ended up being getting right. off of it. And really they made plenty of mistakes that, they, that right. needed to be corrected. The restitution should have been paid. I'm not saying that they were crystal clean either, but the way that it was handled was really scary. In fact, it, you know, the, the other lesson that I take away from that, Larry, at that point in my life is I don't believe a whole hell of a lot of things I read or see until I see the details. I've been on the side of seeing articles written, things about different things that were completely falsified, right? And so it, it's funny how skeptical I've become 
with all of that stuff. Even now today, a little more people are skeptical on media and things like that. But back then it wasn't. You read it in the news, you just kind of believed it, right? But it's just going to get worse with AI. Yeah. The thing is that, you know, even the documentation proving, you know, the the false accusation, you know, they can they can make all that stuff up. And so the thing is that what I like about what you did was you trust somehow and over the course of your life, you had learned to trust your instincts yeah. and to not let yourself be bullied into, you have to develop those instincts. Yeah. But for, you know, this one thing I want, I wonder about the usefulness about you hear about their teaching ethics at Harvard. If you're going to have to teach a 20 year old right and wrong, it's a lost cause. You know what it's I'm saying? Hard. Yeah. And, the the foundation's laid, act, right? You could tell them in good times how to act ethical and pretend ethic. But if the ethic is not in their bones and their marrow, it's like Proverbs in the Bible has talks about the wise man and the foolish man. There are really only two people in this. There are two camps. You're wise or you're foolish. And the right. foolish is going to take shut, shortcuts. And the wise person is going to be looking down the road and not get off track for a short-term gain or be bullied into taking a stand for something they didn't believe it. Now, what I would say to you, another lesson for people listening in, if you are in a marketing role with a company, you better be darn well sure you have checked them out and what they're telling you in their sales presentation. And no matter how many jets they're putting you on, absolutely process because you're the mouthpiece. You know the one yes. vulnerability you had in this situation is you were the mouthpiece. Absolutely, you, know, you were saying it, and yeah. they weren't saying it to people. You were saying it, and so that's a way. You know, you could have been sucked in, but fortunately, you weren't. So your life is totally disrupted. Well, I'm going to ask you one lesson. Uh, I mean, one thing before I want to get into how you kept yourself going, you know, yeah. how you kept income coming in. Yeah. Doing so, something like this where your credibility shot, you cut your ties in other areas. And this is the way you're going to throw yourself into it 100 percent. And yeah. now you got to start something else. And usually when you start something else, it takes a while to get it going. So I want to talk about that. But when you look at what they did wrong. What lessons, if any, did you pick up that you've carried forward as make sure you don't do this, make sure you do this? Any lessons from that that you learned about that you use in running your business today? Yeah, the biggest lesson that I learned was, one, I learned a lot of really good things from them, right? Because they did big deals. They understood right. different different levels of business. I was exposed to different levels of entrepreneurs and business owners and things that I'd never had been exposed to. So there was a lot of really good. And there was really good lesson of, for me, that I've taken from that point forward was don't get so too far out in front of your skis. Really what, what I felt like that they did is, I'm sure that you're familiar because of, you know, you're up in the Aspen area, but you're probably familiar with Yellowstone Club up in Bozeman yeah, right. and Tim Blixeth and how he was putting that together. That's really the type of club we were putting together. And we always said, man, we've got this great thing. Everybody wants it. We're building it. But he wanted it to happen overnight instead of over a certain period of time. And that's what really got him in trouble is saying, okay, I'm going to pull money from here and here and here so that I can make this go faster. But then all these other things over here start to suffer. And I've always felt like, especially in the real estate game, and this is what I've, I actually haven't raised any money since this lesson. And I've been really... 
I've always said, if I can't fund it and I'm not going to be, it's not my money in the deal, then I'm not going to do it. And so that has probably held me back quite a bit. There's a lot of leverage in real estate using bringing on investors in it. This today, because of our success, I have a lot of people that will invest with us. We have a lot of people that will say, hey, listen, we really like what we're doing. And there's another level of responsibility when you've got other people's money involved. And that was the biggest lesson I learned back when I was 30. Because as long as things are going good, everybody's happy. But when things start to hiccup a little bit, and look, we're going into a shifting market right now. I think you're going to see some people that got into raising money and using other people's money on investments that are going to, maybe the deal's not going to go as well as they had planned. And there's going to be people that are facing those same type of implosions, maybe not with the Fed shutting it down and everything else. But the lesson is when you get out in front of your skis too far and you're using other people's money, there's this whole other level of responsibility that comes with that. I don't think that people think of that when they're doing that. We think of all the good times. And you said this about their intent was to do this, intent was to do the right thing. However, they were robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, yeah. and for whatever their intent was, you see all the time people get embezzled you know, they're caught embezzling for a big company. And they say, well, you know, my mother was sick and we had to do radiation treatments. And, you know, what am I going to do? I had to come up with, you know, $120,000. I was going to put it back. Doesn't matter what your intent was. Right. You know, the thing is, if you do something illegal or immoral or get, you know, that's why they have so many checks. And I've lived, you've lived your life in, in real estate. I've lived mine in financial services. And it's, they put the strength yeah. of all regulations on you. And there's a reason. Yeah, there is a reason. And for good anything reason. Anything you let people get away with, they'll get away with. Absolutely. You know. And you can justify anything, right? That's the other thing. Like right. there's rights and wrongs, right? And right. then there's, there's some gray area in a lot of things. And what I feel like is a big gray area and when you start to deal with other people's money is you better be a damn good expert at what you're doing. And you better be very, very upfront about, hey, this is not, there's no guarantee in anything. And especially when it comes to any sort of investment, right? And when you're you're guaranteeing based off that performance, this is going to go, this is going to go, this is going to go. Better be very conservative in those things. Super conservative. And you, when it's your own money, you can take risks, take as many risks as you want, right? Like you can be a lot riskier with your own money than somebody else's money. Yeah. And that's what I have that I struggle with a little bit for ever since that's happened. When I hear of all these people raising money and doing deals with other people's money that don't have a lot of track record of doing their own deals with their own money. And maybe my opinion of that would be different if I didn't go through that. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.